Welcome back to another Friday solo episode of the show. I'm really glad to be back talking to you guys again after taking basically the whole month of July off. One of the things I probably should have done when I started this podcast was to set it up in seasons so that I could build in breaks for myself. Because the way that I've structured my life right now, my wife and I are going out of town like basically once a month for a week, and it's difficult (laughs) to do the work across both great legal marketing and the law firm, and record podcasts, and get all this stuff out to you on time and ready to go. And so the life that I built is one that I'm really excited about, and it's really full, but in many ways, it's also busy and it's hard to fit this stuff in. And so I regret in some ways not having built in these seasons and giving myself scheduled breaks, but that is what it is. So in today's episode, I want to talk about conferences. Fall tends to be a conference-heavy season, And I'm just back from a Virginia trial lawyer's plaintiffs-only auto accident retreat in Charlottesville that I thought was excellent. And it was excellent not only for the education that went on in the room, but for the interaction that went on outside of the room. And because it's plaintiffs-only and because we're sworn to secrecy, I can't tell you much about what went on in the room and the learnings from there. But I do want to give you, as you come into your own conference and education season in the fall, my tips and takeaways for how to maximize your conference dollars and how to get the most out of every interaction that you're having with people as you go off to conferences and seminars. Welcome to Time Freedom for Lawyers, where the goal is to become less busy, make more money, and spend more time doing what you want instead of what you have to. Bringing together guests from all walks of life who are living a life of their own design and sharing actionable tips for how you too can live the life of your dreams. Now, here's your host, Brian Glass. Okay, so let me just quickly set the stage for what this it was an eight and a half hour event, Friday afternoon, and then cocktail hour Friday, and then Saturday morning was the rest of the event. I love these CLEs where you can show up and get all of your hours or most of your hours for the year in one fell swoop and hang out with people who are smarter than you are. We have gotten in the last couple of years into this habit, and I certainly know I'm guilty of this, of taking all of our CLE credits in the week before they're due from our desk and by Zoom. And a couple of problems with that. Number one, it's almost never in a practice area where you actually give a shit about, right? So the stuff that I took towards the end of the last year was the stuff that was available. It really, for the most part, didn't have anything to do with auto accidents or injury. And some of it didn't even have to do with civil litigation. Like you just take what is on the schedule in the last two weeks of the year as you are coming up against a deadline. So that's mistake number one. Mistake number two is doing all this stuff by Zoom. Because while the programmed stuff is important, most lawyers who've been doing this for a long time, most of the program stuff. And so of the eight and a half hours of programming that I went to, I probably only came away with two or three practical things that I can implement in my practice that'll move us forward. Now, it's a $600 conference package, and those two or three tips that I got are worth well more than $600. So the ROI is there on that. But the more important interactions are the ones that take place outside of the room. And this is true almost everywhere you go. It's true from mastermind events to conferences to seminars. And you miss 100% of that when you do these by Zoom. And so the way that I maximized my time and my interaction outside of the room 
is in a couple of different ways. Number one, I was able to get the attendee list in advance. Not all organizations will give you this, but VTLA was kind enough to send us the list in advance of who's going to be there. And so I looked at the list and said, who do I not know that I want to know? Going through LinkedIn, going through people's various websites, trying to figure out who had experiences and skills that I could learn from and what relationships could I cultivate with people who are outside of my geographic region who when they have crashes and claims that come up in my geographic region, they would rather refer me those cases than try to handle them on their own. So getting the list in advance and then making a plan for yourself of who you're going to talk to and what you're going to talk about when you get there. I think it's really important. And so I made a point of meeting a lawyer at cocktail hour who I knew about and he he knew about me, but I don't think we'd ever actually met face to face. And then having breakfast Saturday morning with another lawyer. Them are running larger practices than mine in a different region of the state than mine. So that's a twofold relationship. Number one, it's a mutually beneficial referral relationship. Number two, there's a lot to learn from these guys about how do you hire? What do you look for in new associates? How do you train new associates? Because the problem that you have as you grow past a certain size is unless you have a set way of doing things. And in personal injury cases, it's hard to have a set way of doing things because every case is a variation on a theme. You have to have some structure of training your associates and your other lawyers on either like the methods that we're going to use in every case, or at least here's the framework that I want you to be thinking about as we approach every case. And so what I want to know from these guys is what's the routine of going through case files that you're not actively working on? What's your routine of sitting down with your team and making sure that all the information that you learn this weekend is being translated to them? How are you bringing back information and translating it to the paralegals and to the legal assistants and to the associates who were spending the vast majority of the time talking to your clients and who are the ones that really need to know this information. Some of the stuff that we get is very valuable, but it's of lesser value if it's only in our head. Like if I come back and I don't tell anybody what I learn and I'm the only one that learns it, again, I'm the bottleneck and people have to come to me for the question. I would rather figure out the best practices and the best methods to disseminate all of that information to my team so that the team can then be the ones on the front line talking to the clients. On that note, the other thing that I did before I got there was I sent my team the agenda. I've got a really great team of lawyers, paralegals, and assistants on the auto accident side of the law firm. And what I wanted to know is, are we having any problems in the firm that I don't know about that are maybe being addressed by the speakers at this event? And sure enough, my team's yeah, we have this big problem with governmental liens. Can you make sure that you pay attention and ask for the models and ask for the pleadings in this uh, Medicaid program that they're putting on. So I did that. And this is a thing that I would not have known to ask about and to get for the team had I not asked. I didn't realize that this is as big of a problem as the team thinks it is. Third thing I did, and I people make this mistake at every single conference and every single seminar that I go to, put your computer away, put your phone away. There's nothing that's coming through emails or Slack or teams or whatever it is you use to communicate with your team that cannot wait until Monday, right? Be present where you are. If you're dividing your attention between the office and the speaker, you're going to miss something important that either the author or the speaker and probably both of them say. It's shocking to me how many people go and pay. This wasn't a very expensive seminar, but how many people spend a shit ton of money to be in a mastermind group or go to high level seminars 
and then sit there and respond to work emails all day. Be present where you are because the thing is that other people in the room notice. Like I had a professor in law school who hired a TA just to sit in the back of the class and report to him who was on at the time AOL Instant Messenger. Uh, and it's the same thing. It's like you you can't help but being distracted by the guy or the girl in front of you who's emailing or texting back with the office. And, and people notice who's paying attention to everything and who's not paying attention. They also notice who's asking questions and who isn't asking questions. And so for the first probably decade of my career, I was the last guy in a room who was going to ask questions. But now I'm like, my ego has gone to the point where I don't really care if you think I'm stupid. I'll ask the stupid question that most of the people in the room are probably also wondering about because I no longer have that worry that somebody's going to be judging me for not knowing something. The other thing that I think is really important when you go to these kinds of events and they have happy hours and they have breakfast the next day where you can interact with people is to go and talk to people that you don't know who aren't like you. And so most of the lawyers that I talk to these days are lawyers that own their own law firms, right? They're responsible for business generation. They're responsible for management. I don't have an awful lot of interaction one-to-one with associates. And so one of the things that I wanted to do going into this event was talk to associates. I wanted to know from the younger people who were there, and there were a lot of younger people there, what problems are you having? What training are you getting or not getting? And what things do you wish that the partners or the owners at your law firm knew? What are we missing out on that our team isn't telling us about? My team, I guarantee you there's something that they are afraid to tell me, but somebody else's team is not afraid to tell me that they have this problem or that problem with their law firm partners or owners. And so that's a good way for you to gather information about what's going on in everybody else's world. And so here's what I learned. Like your associates, they have no loyalty to you. So there's a couple areas of our state, Richmond and the Tidewater area, where you have these very large plaintiff's law firms. And the lawyers are constantly changing hands, right? The associates, at least. They can, if, especially if they don't have a book of business, they just pick up and they go somewhere else thinking grass is greener, money's better, hours better, cases are better, like whatever. And so every lawyer that I talked to that was from that area who was not an owner or a partner had worked at least one other law firm that looked exactly like that. No loyalty among these people. But even at great firms, once you get to about 10, 12, 15 years in, you're at a breaking point. So I talked to three different lawyers who were either associate, senior associates or junior partners who were at these kinds of firms. And all of them said, if I ever have another boss, it'll be myself. Because all of your associates, when they get to a certain level, think I can do the exact same thing that you're doing. I can keep more of the money because I'm going to do it cheaper with a, in a less expensive place and I'm going to be more tech forward, right? Now, everybody who's made that jump knows, okay, all that there's a lot of money that goes towards staff and case acquisition and networking and bankrolling the cases and risk and like making sure that you get paid. And so there were people that will make that jump and then decide that they shouldn't have. There were people that will make that jump and will take off. But at 15 years or so, if you've got a lawyer that's been with you for 15 years and you're thinking that they're happy, they're also thinking, if I ever have another boss, it'd be myself. They're not going to go work for somebody else, probably, but they might go and start their own law firm. And so the job as the owner is to create the environment where you don't want to do that, where although you could go make some more money elsewhere, I've got a job for you that's so great that you don't want to, right? And the thing is, 
not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs, many of us want to sell this life to everybody else. We believe everybody should go start their own business, be free, rise with a solopreneur, blah, blah, blah. But it's not for everybody. There are people who just want to be great trial lawyers. That's okay. There are people that just want to be great marketers. They just want to get the case in and then let somebody run it. That's okay. Life is all about carving the path that's perfect for you and staying in that lane. For some of us, it's entrepreneurship. For some of us, it's not. But you need to know that your folks who have been with you seemingly forever are constantly thinking about, would I be able to do this better, cheaper, faster, and more more money for myself? The last couple things that I'll share is that most lawyers, shockingly, and I've said this a couple times in the podcast, like most lawyers still don't know what ChatGPT is and haven't tried it and haven't played with it. So we had a great AI presentation from Dan Hingle at, at AAJ, and most lawyers still haven't played very much or very in-depth with ChatGPT. Dan, Dan shared some statistic that 71% of judges haven't even opened ChatGPT. And so there's still an opportunity to get ahead of the curve on that if you're among that large percentage of lawyers that haven't tried it, haven't played with it. It is not too late. The last thing is that most lawyers, we don't have any kind of safe space to bring our ideas. So there's this idea that everybody is in competition with us and we are not willing to share our best ideas with somebody who's a competitor, especially in our area and especially in our practice area in our area. And so most lawyers have nowhere to go to bounce ideas off of people. If that resonates with you, I will soft pitch again for Great Legal Marketing's mastermind programs because we bring in lawyers from all across the country, all across different practice areas to talk about exactly the things that I'm talking about on this podcast. People management, information management, digital marketing, how do I get more cases? How do I run them faster? How do I make more money? And the thing is that when you're talking with people who are your quote competitors in the same geographic region and in the same practice area, it's very difficult. Nobody wants to share their best digital marketing tip with the guy whose office is next door. People are very willing to share their best digital marketing tip with the people who are not in the same city and not in the same practice area as they are. And so if you aren't in a room where you're able to have these discussions and be vulnerable about the, the problems that you have in your law firm and get answers for them, but also share willingly the best secrets that you've implemented in your law firm, I want to invite you to come into one of these rooms or at least come to our summit in October. We have just finished a big planning session for our Great Legal Marketing Summit, which will be October 12th to 14th in Orlando. I'm going to put a link in the show description to the ticket page is glmsummit.com. I want to invite you to come hang out with a tribe of entrepreneurial self-starting lawyers and let's work together to steamroll your way into 2024. All right, guys, have a great weekend. I'll see you later.